gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good, then. Well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine and, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's, it's a podcast. podcast. Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room, episode 53, the review segment for Friday, January 9th, 2015. Today marks the wide release of several movies, one of which is Selma, which we'll be talking about. The other which is Inherent Vice, which is uh, out there in the world. Congratulations, everybody. We'll talk about that one of these days. Um, but we'll be talking about Selma on this week's episode, in addition to a, a smattering of Taken 3, which I have not seen and I'm excited to hear about from Matt Patches. <laughs> I, I don't know I don't if you know should wh- be excited. That might be the wrong word. I don't know why I'm excited. I, I'm I don't know either. What is your fascination with the Take I, It series? Well, I've like, I don't know. I liked the first one, and I saw the second one, so I feel kind of bad about not seeing the whole thing out, I guess. This is all my guilt speaking. Well, I have a special set of skills in describing the <laughs> Taken franchise. Let's talk about me and my guilt about the Taken series <laughs> yes. for this entire segment. Um Actually, let's talk about Selma, which uh, opens wide, I believe. I know it's been in New York and L.A. I know it's screening for free for New York City school children. There's a lot of Oscar shenanigans going on around this. So I think it's everywhere this weekend. It is. Yes, it's expanding wide. Okay. And uh, as you have probably heard by now, it is a story about Martin Luther King and his efforts in the uh, march from Selma, Alabama to Montgomery to... Uh, help enact the Voting Rights Act of 1965. It's, uh, as Ava du- as the director, Ava DuVernay, has said over and over again, it's not called King, it's called Selma. So it's not, I mean, it's a biopic, but it's also about a very specific event and a very specific time and a lot about the people who are surrounding King as he was making this happen. It's got Tom Wilkinson as LBJ and Tim Roth as George Wallace and, uh, you know, a lot of other people who may not be as bold-faced names, like Andre Holland plays Andrew Young, who became a politician. But how accurate is it, Katie? Oh, my God. Is it fair to LBJ's legacy? That's really the question on everyone's mind coming out of this movie. Um, it's kind of saying a lot about Selma as an Oscar contender that there has been all of this nonsense about how historically accurate it is. That's how you know you've made it, and Harvey Weinstein's afraid of you, that there's hit, piece, hit pieces in the Washington Post. Um I'm kind of of the camp that the historical accuracy is not remotely the most interesting thing about the movie. David, it sounds like you agree with me. Yeah. Um, it's been a while since I saw Selma, so I really want to tread lightly on talking about details since I'm interested to see it again. But I really like this movie. You may remember that I put it on my top ten. I think I'm the only one of the group who put it on the top ten, right? It was just me, right? Yeah, I think so. It did not crack my top ten. Yeah. But, yeah uh, it was in my I top, liked it. My top twenty-five. But we were but we were all fans and I think Selma is interesting because of the thing that Ava DuVernay has said over and over again, that it's not called King, it's called Selma. It's about the people surrounding him. And it's taking this moment in history and making it really interesting by making it about the people who are surrounding it and the people who made it happen. Well, what's so it's about funny. about community in that way. And that's what, I, that's what I feel like makes me want to come back and watch it again. That's why the movie doesn't like play as well for me. I, I, I think yeah? Selma is a very good movie, but I really don't think it's about all the people who were part of this Movement. It does feel like a Martin Luther King Jr. biopic to me, and really? and for good reason because David Ayoello gives a, a, a oh, tremendous. Oh, what is it? Wow, oh, Brad Pitt is going to come to your home and Brad shame Pitt's you. Sing a song. I to tell you how to. All right, it. Da- David's performance of the film is is tremendous. I mean, he is a real powerhouse at delivering these speeches, which I later learned are not the the actual which is speeches. Really fascinating, I think. Yeah, it is interesting because they couldn't get the rights to it. I didn't know you yeah. had to get the rights to the, the uh, his so words Steven in those Spielberg cases. So Steven Spielberg licensed the rights to King's speeches 
<laughs> to the key. Oh, oh boy. Um, yeah, so Steven Spielberg. How have I not seen that headline? How have I not seen this King's speech. What what have we all been doing with ourselves? (laughs) Quickly, to the daily news. I know. Everybody get on this. uh, Please give me royalty. I mean, I'm sorry. This movie's been out for – well, it's been sort of in conversation for two months and I I feel – and I will go back to talking about it in a way respectful to our listeners in a second. (laughs) But just in our community, it's been sort of talked to death um, and unfortunately these these harebrained attacks keep uh, reminding us of – and of course, you know, events in the real world keep reminding us of its urgency but i'm at the point where i'm starting to think about the peripheral uh, elements of this movie and its place in our culture and i am just astonished that we have not <laughs> gotten to this point. we have failed dr martin luther king jr everyone please give us all of your uh, credit when you put this on the, oh, your oscar headlines oh God. all the oscars which i keep predicting um, anyway anyway what was I saying? Oh, that he's a fantastic <laughs> he's fantastic in the movie. I mean, he really just bellows and 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 in every instance, whether he's in a church or whether he's outside well, or whether he's we, he, he's talking to someone in uh, a jail cell. He's just so ferocious. But it's and, the well, quieter moments that I think are more effective. You say bellows as if it's like he's yelling the whole time. Like, do you mean that you feel like it's no? He's like bellows? summoning the spirit of God. I mean, I, I he's really yeah, like. I think that that disc is uh, a disservice to the movie's most effective moments for me, which are the quieter, more domestic ones, like the very first scene where he is getting prepared for his Nobel Peace Prize uh, acceptance speech, and the scene where his wife uh, accuses him of adultery, and he sort of tacitly, uh, you these, know, the, admits to. You're, you're saying he's I'm done. not doing a, or I'm a doing a disservice well, to them. Those, these are the moments that weren't working for me as well. The kind really? of like intimate behind the scenes stuff where we get to know the people, and uh, especially the periphery people, the people that you're talking about. That if this movie is not a biopic and it is about the community that came together, I really lose a lot of that. Uh, Katie, you and I were talking. Uh, off podcast about Oprah in this movie, and she is the, probably the most effective performance. Uh, seeing someone who's just like living this you day think after she's day, more effective than David Oyelowo. Really, I could not. I I know one scene that Oprah is in the movie, and she is a background player after that. And it's Wait, the no, that's why. Scene. That's why it's interesting. Yeah, but her one scene is really great. Her one scene, she I think, is two the scenes. worst scene in the movie. Was like, she I trying think, to register to vote? I mean, I think it's it's me. Like as far as its meaning. To the weight of the story, it's undeniably important. But I think, especially after the the the, the, the movie opens with the bombing of the four schoolgirls in Alabama, and it's yeah, it's really um, exceptionally done. It's uh, it shocks you into the immediacy of what's happening, and it also has this sort of dreamlike quality to it. Um, it just really, really well navigates the history with the present moment. And then there's this very lifetimey Oprah scene that follows, uh, which sets a, a, a what I was, a, it made me very afraid of the movie to come. A lifetime. Um, I know. I'm not sure. I, don't know, I, I, just, I was not particularly taken with how it was, uh, how that scene was filmed, but I was shocked that Oprah does no more grandstanding after that scene. Well, she does get – yeah, I like that she becomes a background player. She's part of this mass that forms in Selma. She also Mm -hmm. gets thrown on the ground in a really violent way, and that's what we – Katie and I were talking about before, just seeing this – and our our colleague Jordan Hoffman. uh, We were all talking about how, like, no one throws Oprah on the ground. Once you throw Oprah on the ground – That's a bit silly, though, because I think, you know, it's – Incredibly commendable of Oprah to lend her. What silly! I don't understand this. It's, it's but I don't casting think, used to the perfect degree. Yeah, right. But I, I don't think that. Uh, I think 
if you're lauding her for what she was willing to do. No, that's not what no, I'm saying. No, it's about using Oprah's star power in the perfect way, as opposed to, say, The Butler, okay. which was last year. Yeah. Like, that's how you use star power and make it tell your story for you. Okay, I'll uh, I'll sustain. But but yeah. then I, w- I would my, – my grievances here, my problems would be that, like, we get to meet all these really interesting people who are surrounding and, and revolving around – King when he comes to town. We get Tessa Thompson. We get uh, Common shows up. Uh, Domingo. What, Coleman Domingo. Just all these really interesting characters. I don't really know who any of them are. And I know that the whole point is that they're coming together. They're unifying to be this march, to be this entity, uh, this combative force. Uh, peaceful, obviously. But I, I, I don't really get them. I don't get the movement. I don't know where they're coming from. And if it's not a King biopic... And which it, it it struggles. It like is this something about the real man behind closed doors? I really don't get a lot of his wife no, see, either. For me, this is a, so this is it's more kind about of jumbled. The, the movement. It's more about like King is obviously the figurehead, and I think that Ava sure. DuVernay and the script that she worked um, negotiates that very well. It reminded me of like a Francesco Rossi film, like The Organizer. I mean, this is about sure. uh, political action and and how that moves. As, but then I wanted more scenes like the amazing scene in the beginning of the movie where they all go over to someone's house to have lunch. Mm-hmm. And, like, you get to hear them talk about just, like, they're being real people, you know? They're not just pawns in this movement. They're real people who are going to summon the energy to to go out there and march in the face of danger. Um, but you need to know that they're real all the time. And I, I you kind of lose that later in the movie when someone becomes about the issues, I think. I really didn't lose that until, and this is the quibble of all quibbles, but left a really bad taste in my mouth. The really embarrassing closing credits. I, oh, I, mean, I, I love the closing credits. No, I, I'm not talking about the closing title cards, which I hope no. you are. I'm talking well, about the actual aesthetic of the closing credits. Like you're when talking the about common like the song, song begins. Oh. No, no, like the moving tiles of actors oh. that they use. It's just so. Oh, repugnant. I didn't even remember that part. Uh, and the song, I think, is really. Like, I understand that it's meant to bridge the gap between the past and the present, but I think uh, Common, as an actor, I have a lot of trouble with, and I don't know if it's present work. But I, I don't think that the title cards were effective either. I, I feel like the story just sort of... Uh, At least you made it through the whole out. movie until you yeah. had a problem. <laughs> I, I mean, no, I, I think that, as I was saying to Patches, I think that as a portrait of um, this this movement, as this sort of... Uh, seeing uh, ideals and, and rights sort of manifest on a human level and, and uh, catalyze almost the chemistry of it into action, mm-hmm. I think was fascinating uh, and it really balances well the well, pathos involved with the process involved. And I think that was well, very effective. And I think the comparisons to Lincoln are really interesting, which I don't think has come up enough in all the conversation about whether or not it's fair to LBJ, because Lincoln is so much about horse trading and it's about all these crazy Southern senators who want this in exchange for voting for Lincoln's, you know, uh, abolishing slavery. And there's all of these, there's all of the politics involved in Lincoln that is super fascinating. And because, because all those people are dead, we're kind of allowed to see it through this objective lens. And someone seems to treat it in the same way, in a way that I think we all understand politics work. Like the Affordable Care Act did not happen because Obama was a single-minded believer in health care. It's because he made it happen through politics. And I really like that element of Selma and how it treats LBJ and how it 
acknowledges him as a politician and, and acknowledges King as a politician and how he's on the phone with LBJ or Coretta's meeting who with Who are your and, favorite living characters from Selma? No, I mean, well, I'm talking <laughs> about the guy who worked for LBJ who wrote the thing in the Washington Post because he was there, you know, no one... That guy's the, been dead inside I don't think this years. movie... <laughs> this movie doesn't get, like, super political for me. I don't no, feel like I understand the inner workings of how it all But the extent to which it gets political is really interesting. Like, I mean, I did not know that Coretta Scott King had met with Malcolm X to mm. kind of talk to him about the role he should play and everything and that they did that kind of I mean horse trading is the way that I referred to it before like I find that really interesting and I like that there's not enough I mean, of that in the movie like you, especially you Coretta Scott be, King you want it to be I, I think there should be more Coretta I agree on that I, I was kind I of just, hoping for more Patches from, how I, racist are you <laughs> <laughs> you know that people are thinking that right now but you want it, you think it should be wonkier no you know what I think I, I just feel like Selma has so many different perspectives and it doesn't really choose a hard direction to go with um, I think my favorite performance in the movie is Wendell Pierce as one of the <laughs> reverends that's he's with. He's really great. Yeah, so it would be interesting to see this whole movie play out with one person's perspective. If it was Wendell Pierce and maybe these two boy, he, you know, he's kind of with these two teenagers or these two teenagers are, are, are wobbling. Uh, the Snick guys? Yeah, well, the people who are already in Selma trying to do something yeah, and they're, they're resistant they're, to King. I think they're King. college students, but yeah. Okay, well, anyway, it, they fascinate me and just about the decision to follow King or not. Like, that's a really interesting perspective. And Wendell Pierce um, kind of compounds it for people, challenges their ideas. And, like, that's a whole movie to me. As much as I love seeing uh, David uh, – um, Yellow-O. Yeah, yellow Yolo. Oh, yellow O. Like oh, oh, yellow. yellow oh, yellow O. o? Okay. Side. This is an important lesson. Everyone should learn this. Oh, yellow Brad O. Pitt taught me well. All right. David O. Yellow O. I mean, again, a great performance, but like it's it either has to be more about him and this kind of interesting, you know, part politician, part uh, reverend, you know, what is his role in civil rights? That would be an interesting movie, too. I just feel like Selma's kind of all over the place to try and uh, encapsulate this incredible movement, and it doesn't really go hard enough in any direction. Um, hmm. I don't know. I, I mean, it's very effective. Let, let's just say that the, the scenes that Duverney directs uh, of the of the actual protests and good lord you know it is violent yeah. it is scary there's a certain point when they're marching across a bridge and the police come on horseback and they're whipping them i mean it's like planet of the apes it's insane yeah uh bradford young cinematographer who uh i've heard some people say he's done better work i thought he did really terrific work in this no um, wait can you talk a little bit about that because you walked out of this movie and you were like all hail I, bradford young yeah I'm curious I think he's amazing hear. and i think the viscerality i think I, we talked about this in the top tens too the viscerality of those protest scenes especially really convinced me and the way that he dealt with all the interior scenes. I mean, he's made, like, he shot Ain't Them Body Saints, which is a really objectively just completely take your breath away gorgeous movie that I think doesn't have that much going around, uh, going on for it story-wise that he made really gorgeous. And I think Selma, his camera tells the story in ways that aren't necessarily as showy but still really effective. I can't claim that to have had my life changed by the cinematography in this movie, but I also see I nothing, I, I, I see nothing <laughs> bad to say about it. I think uh, I, there was nothing that you said in your description of Bradford Young's work that I disagree with. So My life um, was changed. Know. Uh, and and I I, I always I always support the idea that cinematography doesn't have to be uh, flashy to to be good. I think it needs to serve the the story, serve the film in in greater ways than that. And uh, going by Katie's description, which I agree with, it, it certainly sounds to accomplish that in Selma. So, Brad Young, all hail. I hope he gets an Oscar <laughs> nomination. I feel like he's not going to. 
You don't think so? I don't know. I don't know. Are we going to talk about Oscars? What are, what, what's a talk about Oscars? There's nothing to talk no about. No one's seen the movie. That's the incredible part. Well, I mean, oh. people are starting to see it. I still feel like this movie has the power to be a really, or has the potential to be a really big hit. Like, I would I think hope if so. Lincoln, I mean, Lincoln was a really big hit. I think Selma could do the same thing. I, I, I do. I mean, I'm watching, when I was watching the movie, how can you not divorce it from everything that was happening? I mean, I guess I was. By luck- everything you happening, mean Ferguson and Eric Garner, et cetera. Yeah. And lucky is the wrong word to use here, but I felt lucky <laughs> to be able to like, the Eric Garner stuff happened the the week before I saw Selma um, and all the protests here in New York. And, you know, it wasn't up. It wasn't craziness like what we see in Selma. But I mean, it's certainly it's like watching what I see on the news in Ferguson. It was it was kind of insane. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. Maybe it loses its effectiveness effectiveness now that it comes out <laughs> a month later because our news uh, rotation is so that. quick. Uh, I'm sure it's only a matter of time before that effectiveness is reignited. Yeah. Um, if, if that's the, the metric for it. So, uh, just, <laughs> and, uh, I'm in defense of, of John Legend and Common Song at I the end. I kind of like it too, actually. <laughs> I, I don't, I mean, I, you know, I, I, this, as what I was saying earlier about. They name check Ferguson. Um, what I was saying earlier they about do. having, uh, this movie long. in the discourse for two months and really, uh, having the conversation at its at its edges right now. Um, I'm really just talking about the graphics of that <laughs> closing title sequence. And, <laughs> um, and I was just like, after a movie like this, it was just so garish. I was like, what do you, who was, who, what was anyone thinking involved with this? Cause well, so, uh, so many brilliant decisions are involved in the making of this movie. To, to, anyway. to kind of wrap up here. I, I, I still not sure what I, like you really gravitated towards this movie and what, what got Me? you here, David? No, David no. specifically, uh, I mean, it made your top twenty-five. So I'm, I'm, I'm curious, what grabbed you here, and like, why is this a standout film for you? Well, that's exactly what I was saying about the uh, about it as a portrait of, that sort of balanced the it, it balanced the pathos with the with the process involved, and I think that that is so important in these stratified times when when idealism comes up against the impossibility of the machine. And I think this movie shows in you know ways that are always going to be relevant in one way or another. They don't need to be as relevant as they have been by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, how that action coalesces into something real. Um, and I think it's the rare film that's able to ground that in, with, in an emotional way without tipping the scales to the point where it becomes about cheap sentiment. Um, and I was really moved by that, even if I think the movie wasn't quite as... Uh, streamlined is it could have been um, and isn't maybe the masterpiece that, that so many people seem to think it is. Yeah, uh, I, I, st- I still think it's a very, very strong bit of filmmaking. I'm a really big fan of the movie while also I walked out of the movie being like, well, you know, there were parts of it that kind of galled me and not called me, but like bothered me when I was seeing it. And it's been easy for me to forget about them since I've been seeing. Wait, it like what? Like, there were a lot of really obvious lines of dialogue. The one that I keep remembering is when Lyndon Johnson is in the Oval Office talking to Dylan Baker playing J. Edgar Hoover, and he says, well, J. Edgar, I don't know about that. And it just feels very signposty biopic filmmaking, mm. which, you know, for the most part, the movie really gets beyond. Um, Although there's some off-the-cuff stuff, LBJ, Tom Wilkinson, oh my and God. talking to um, Wallace. There's an amazing hilarious. scene where he says, are you shitting your president, George Wallace? And that's... Really, the is that what the inaccuracy claims are all about? <laughs> that, but, OBJ no. would never say shit. 
Well, don't you remember in the butler where he's sitting on the toilet with his, uh, are they to- <laughs> corgis? No, Jack Russell surrounding him. Some kind of dog, some small dog surrounding him in the butler. Um, so I'm, I don't know why LBJ's cronies weren't out for him after that. Because um, that was real. There was no disputing that. <laughs> surrounded by Jack Russell's at all time. Um, yeah, and then there are parts of Selma that bother me in that way. And I am looking forward to seeing it again so I can really solidify it. But what's... I really appreciate when a movie I can sit there and kind of pick it apart while I'm seeing it. And then what sticks with me is stuff that feels really unimpeachable to me. And the parts of Selma, like the riot scenes, like the Oprah scene in the beginning of the movie, like the scenes where David Oyelowo is speaking, there's, you know, scenes where he's meeting with the other leaders kind of in the church or the scene where they're all, you know, they're standing in there prepping lunches for the marchers and they start singing Deo because they know Harry Belafonte is coming. Like that's a great scene. There's so much liveliness and so much kind of, Heart, I mean, and heart is something that starts I just to sound wanted, really cheap, but I it feels really effective in yeah. this movie. I just wanted more of that. Like, there's a lot of yeah. extraneous stuff. I, you know, um, Cuba Gooding Jr. shows up for two scenes <laughs> in this movie. Martin Sheen shows up for one <laughs> oh, scene. I forgot about Martin And Sheen I'm just too. like, what? Why am I seeing all this stuff? Back to the yeah. people I care about, right? It's still it's a shaggy. movie. It's definitely not like, I mean, Lincoln, I think, once I saw it for the second time, it felt so really perfectly crafted from beginning to end it feels like every piece in it makes sense and Selma doesn't feel like that it feels very similar in spirit and in the story it's kind of it's trying to tell but it's not as I'm not gonna say as well crafted but it's not as complete from beginning to end as Lincoln but that doesn't bother me really yeah I mean it's an important story we need to see it and it's and it's a good story it's not just that it's your vegetables you know it's like a it's got really good performances and it's really funny in parts and it feels really different from a lot of other versions of history we've seen and not just because it's made by black people about black people because it's made really well Patches, I'm extremely curious about Taken 3. You are. I don't know. I don't know why, but I am. Uh, how is it? They're not showing it to critics for some reason, which I find very surprising. Because I think they showed critic, so. I think they showed the second. Yeah, right. They they showed Taken 2 early. And they shouldn't they did. have. I, I saw it. Um, Taken 2 was really pretty awful, I thought. And Taken 3 is a step up. It's somewhere between Taken, 
which I haven't rewatched in a very long time. Is it as good as I think it is? Or have the, the sequels just made me believe it's some sort of mini masterpiece? I have extremely fond memories of Taken, but I don't know if they're earned. Yeah, I, I I mean, Liam Neeson's charisma is the reason these movies continue to exist, and it's in full force in Take It 3, uh, because nothing else really can compare. Uh, but he doesn't even have any, like, special set of skills uh, lines. Wait, but all of the trailers are him on the phone. No, he's not on the phone at all. <laughs> I'm going to come, bad. and I'm going to get him, and I'm going to talk like Liam Neeson for the rest That's, of this Take It 3. I just wish we could That's- bridge the gap between his stepfather subplot in Love Actually and the Taken movies. <laughs> well, the, actually, I have never seen him smile so as much as I have in the first 20 minutes of Taken 3. It's pretty disturbing. He's just smiling and hugging a giant panda for most what? of the time. And what then it becomes the fugitive, thing? right? As, as If you've seen the trailer, you know that this is not like Taken 1 and 2. No one really gets taken. A life gets taken. And now uh, Brian Mills is on the run. Um and it's and it's pretty boring. I mean, at least the fugitive went all around the country and had some cool set pieces. The action in this is horrific. I've n- I mean, my eyes were just blistering after seeing this movie. It's so heavily Are edited. You trying to tell me that Olivier Megaton is, <laughs> is not a he doubled down. It's double Megaton action. this time. I, it's it's really impressive how like no shot lasts for more than a microsecond. There's a whole huge car chase around L.A. And it's incomprehensible. I really, uh, it's it's uh, it's amazing. I, so I mean, my brain was registering something, too. but oh, it's uh, well, it's not worse because it actually has some character stuff going on. Like Forrest Whitaker is the cop, is the Tommy Lee Jones um, chasing him, and which is 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 kind of fun. That uh, he's a good actor, and so is Liam Neeson. The problem is Liam Neeson can't do action. I mean, maybe he could in Taken, but the action is so poor. He is hobbling around. He cannot run. He is grandpa running in every scene and they have to edit around it. And it just looks bad. It looks really bad. And because it's all set in L.A., it's suffocating. Like you, that, like I was oh, saying, the fugitive. It's all set in L.A. so you could just stay at home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, exactly. Yeah. It feels like they never leave a three-mile radius from where the yeah. initial murder takes from, place. From, from, his house. from his actual exactly. house, yes. It's all green screen, too. He never he, – he built the Taken sets in his home. Uh, yeah, Taken 3. I can't really I can't really recommend it. I guess if you're looking for more of the same. Uh, I, I just saw that the guy who made Nonstop has another movie with Liam Neeson. So you're probably oh, really? better off just waiting for that. Uh, Do you feel like Liam Neeson, like, what happens to Liam Neeson after Taken? Like, the, it was such a fluke that it happened. Like, we all like Liam Neeson. I'm glad he Well, he's going to make a Martin money. Scorsese movie. So he's fine, he's right? He's trying movie? again. Yeah, he's doing Silence, I believe, with Andrew Garfield. Oh, uh, yeah. So he, okay. he's he's right. bouncing back in a big way. He's, he's right. made I, some I money. I him to continue to be a legitimate actor because I like yes. him and I want him to have a life after this. He can growl. He's going to be fine. Um, What's this other movie you want to talk about? Oh, yes. I really wanted – well, actually, I I challenged David to describe Predestination, the new film from the Spiel – the Spirig? Spirig? Spirig Brothers who did uh, Day – I don't know. Daywalker? uh, What the fuck is it called? Daywalkers. Daywalkers. Daybreakers. Daybreakers. Which I did not – I did not care for but Predestination is a time travel movie starring Ethan Hawke and Sarah Snook from a very horrible movie called Jezebel. Um, and it is fucking insane. It is crazy. Uh, and I kind of enjoyed it for for that reason alone. I mean, it's very fluffy. They somehow turn this crazy WTF time travel plot into like Benjamin Button, Forrest Gump kind of soft, icky 
I mean, it's about nothing. The movie has no greater meaning, and it wishes uh, it did. I don't know about that. I, I really, really interested in unpacking I it here, but I think that the stuff it gets into with as its revelations compound upon one another. Well, it's uh, interesting on a it, logic level. The movie isn't interested in the themes that I think come out of it. I think it's too interested in the machinations <laughs> of its plotting and the, and the logic of it all, and the logic eventually. There's like a, there's like a point. I saw it twice on a screener. Whoa! And I, well, like, like, cause I was watching it with one eye. I had to review it, so I had to watch it again. And like, both, even that second time, I was with it. I was with it, and then like an hour in, suddenly the floor dropped out, and I was like, "What the fuck is happening in this movie?" Well, there, um, there, there, there is some interesting stuff. I mean, I don't want to spoil it because I do think people should see this movie. I mean, if you are a, a junkie for like primer flowchart making or like you've upset Dave Gonzalez needs to see predestination because if he thinks the Terminator time travel logic message boards that he frequents, I'm sure, uh, are, are complicated. Predestination is going to melt his brain Dave, because you're listening. Yeah, it, it involves the time travel. Obviously it also involves like gender swapping and this whole like cover up of an, of a space NASA type program. Uh, it is crazy. <laughs> the, um, I mean, it's one of those movies where they start, you know, it's there are so many movies that start with an action scene with no context and then sort of unpack yeah. it and you get back there and you're like, oh, now I have more information and they're seldom very good. But uh, it then introduces a second character and goes into a 45 minute flashback. Yes, there's a half a movie of explanation and then the second movie picks back up and it's neither are action movies. Which is – I found that interesting because the poster is Ethan Hawke walking towards us holding a gun and there's really only one action moment, the first beat. And then it just goes – it's it's a roller coaster of mind-bending, uh, gender-bending logic. Yeah, it's Sarah Snook very is peculiar. great. She's really? really good. I was really impressed. She's, she's the disappointment here for me. She uh, – I, I think she's from Australia and her, her fallback is doing hard Southern American accents. And that annoys a crap out of nah, me. whatever. I thought her performance was was great. And, and uh, Ethan Hawke has a real hard on for mediocre sci-fi movies with super high concepts. I think this has been uh, – He's it, good in it. He's, he's charming. He's, he's always fun. What are the he's, other examples we're thinking of? Uh, you can go Sinister. all the way back to Gattaca. Oh, sure. Or, uh, this is the definitely a Gattaca light movie. Yeah, and he's in it's not sci-fi, but it feels like it is the new Andrew Nichol movie which I saw in Toronto, Good Kill, where he's a right. drone pilot. Uh also <laughs> Sorry, go on, Katie. No, um, I have I have nothing to add. I just didn't know what other Ethan Hawke sci-fi we were talking. I was just I kept thinking of um what's the movie he made with Selena Gomez? Oh, Get Away. Get Away. Get, get I'm obsessed. He, right. David loves it. Ethan Hawke is going to be an Oscar nominee this year. We need to give him a break. He's doing really? You think so? Oh, yeah. Definitely. For Predestination. Yeah, for Predestination. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah. He deserves he it. Like a, he seems just like a good guy. A little loony. But like, a, just a good a good guy. He know? goes super loony in Predestination towards oh, the end. does he ever. Oh, there's so many. I mean, I just want people to see this just so we could talk about it because it is... Oh. I feel like there are more pressing things to talk about. <laughs> no, definitely. <laughs> What was the C. Slightly around question? Um, yes, it was in honor of Taken 3, which you incorrectly assumed 
went to a different country, but I really did. Just... But then I, when I tweeted it, I said in honor of Taken because I okay. learned my lesson. Yes, it's... I did not realize it did not go to Europe at all. <laughs> uh, so yes, in honor of Taken, uh, what's your favorite movie about an American abroad? And uh, according to many of our listeners, there are obvious, definitive answers to this question. They're yeah, probably I was right. Surprised but... by that. A couple of obviouslys. Obviously. Although obviously. a lot of people picked war movies, which I did not think about, which is no. they're obviously really good answers, but uh I did not think about them at all. Should I go first? I ha- I feel like Yes, I please. Okay. Well, um Richard Brody of the New York Times responded to us, which is very exciting. And said Breathless, of course, one of the uh, obvious picks, but uh if you don't want to be as cool as uh oh god, the actress's name saying New York Herald Tribune. What's the actress's name in Breathless? John Seberg? Yes. Saying New York Herald Tribune and handing out those newspapers. I want to be here every moment of my life. And you need a trigger warning before anyone mentions Sean Seberg in front of me. Her life is just so sad that I, I get... Uh, oh, man, you're getting weepy? I get weepy. I, I apologize. She's just still, think of predestination. You'll she's be fine. still the most beautiful person I can imagine in cinema. So, Go She's up there. Uh, David, do you have a pick from our listeners? Uh, a number of people said before Trilogy... Uh, but I'll give a shout out, a Sundance theme shout out uh, in, in anticipation of my first Sundance to Brian J. Roan, who says Simon Killer, because the the f- another person in that group of filmmakers who was responsible for Simon Killer, Martha Marcy May Marlene, has a film uh, at Sundance. Uh, but it's neither of the guys who directed those right, films that right. he mentioned. It's, it's, it's the, the third one. member. Right. But he's, they're all involved in the same they're all together. Oh, but uh, but I really enjoyed Simon Killer. I really? really did not like Martha Marcy May Marlene. So, oh, I'm the opposite. Uh, well, you would be. I but, thought about answering for this question. The light uh, and dark. Force majeure as if it's a story about Brady Corbett being uh, <laughs> abroad. Or Brady Corbett's entire filmography of 2014, which is apparently just showing up in movie set outside of the United States. Um. Oh, gosh. What should I go with? Um. I'm going to pick at Max on Movies, who said John Carter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Actually, I should go with David's boss, Josh Rothkopf, who said An American Werewolf in London, which is a fantastic movie, as opposed to John Carter, which is just worth defending because I like it. But American Werewolf in London, the transformation, it still gets uh, me. Ooh, Werewolf London. Okay. No, please. Also, uh, <laughs> shout out to Juvie Cinnabella, who had said Design for Living, which is a pretty good movie. I read a whole paper about it in college. What was it about? It is about three people, like a woman and two men, and they decide. No, to your each other. paper. Like, oh, my paper. Oh, it was comparing that. It was about that movie and what it would have been like if Frank Capra had directed it, because we were comparing different styles of uh, directing. Because that was a Lubitsch movie, and it's a. Uh, it was all about like how different comedy directors would have handled this. Whoa! Because it's basically a thinly veiled menage a trois, which is you know something that would not have been that popular for Capra, or in. Uh, Traditional Hollywood. Cinema. So before anyway. there were, um, if Wes Anderson had directed the Avengers YouTube videos, you were writing academic papers. Yes, I was. This was my exact thing. assignment. That's so incredible. I, I'll put I'll put my paper on our show page. You I will, better. I, I will not. I have no idea where it is. Oh. If I can find it, I'll put it on there. But I don't actually. Think Thank it's you. Really that good. Anyway, Design for Living, pretty good movie. That does it for today's episode. We'll be back next week talking about any number of things. There's a surprising amount of movies to talk about in January, not all of which are predestination or taken free. (laughs) They can't all be. Um, In the meantime, tell the people who you are. I am Matt Patches. I'm writing all across the internet, putting it, putting it on my website, mattpatches.com. And I'm on Twitter at Mr. Patches. 
I'm David Ehrlich. I am the uh, associate film editor of Time Out in New York, the editor at large of Little White Lies. You can also find me all this previous week contributing to Slate's annual movie club, uh, where we talk a lot about uh, this year's movies. Apparently How long does that last? A fan. I it's wasn't over, sure. It ran from this Monday to uh, tomorrow, Friday. Seriously, um, I read the movie club every year, and finding out that you were in it was yeah, really it's very exciting. exciting. Oh wow! Uh, well, we're your I biggest hope, fans. Uh, I hope I didn't let you guys down. I think well. my final entry tomorrow is the most uh, stereotypically David of them, and oh. I say that. Explain more things. No certified no. copy lost uh, in translation. But but I mean I do not mean that in a good way. <laughs> so so. But uh, if people are listening to this podcast, they might like you. So. Uh, do you refer to anything as basic in the, that article? Kind of. I, I do. I do go on a rant about how people are. I, it's it's sort of about um, about the controversy over these Oscar biopics and what they get wrong. And I go on a rant about how people are bad at watching movies. Oh good. Uh, oh good. Looking forward to the shaming. Yeah. I don't get enough of it here, so I read your articles too. <laughs> I don't Play think you're in the. For people who don't get enough I don't think shaming. you're in the crosshairs, but yeah. Wow. All right. Well, I'm excited for that. Uh, also, I'm Katie Rich, and you can find me at VanityFair.com or on Twitter at Katie Rich, K-A-T-E-Y-R-I-C-H. I'll be commenting on David's Movie Club and giving really mean comments this entire week. Uh, thank you for listening, and we'll be back talking to you next week. Mm-hmm.